handle the truth. Should we or should we not follow the advice of the galactically stupid? Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe fuck yourself. You're all a bunch of fucking assholes. You know why? You don't have the guts to be what you want to be. You need people like me. You need people like me so you can point your fucking fingers and say, that's the bad guy. Clearly, don't know who you're talking to, so let me clue you in. I am not in danger, Skyler. I am the danger. A guy opens his door and gets shot, and you think that of me? No. I am the one who knocks. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Righteous Brick Podcast. I'm your host, J.L. Covan. It is Sunday, the Lord's Day, October 9th in the year of our aforementioned Lord, 2022, at 11.41 a.m. Church has been attended, 8.30 mass, up and rise, grind, and pray. That's my rise and grind, okay? Uh, Woke up, my ritual, wake up at 5 a.m., wondering why am I up so early? I certainly don't want to go on another day, so why am I so eager to get up and start it? And that was a little morbid humor to kick off your your Sunday, or whenever I post this episode, or whenever you listen to it. Um, Woke up, watched an episode of The Good Fight on Paramount+, Plus, recommended to me by superfan Michael C. in Australia. He told me it was a very anti-Trump show, and uh, you know me, guys, I can't get enough Trump shotgun blast followed by silence um that was a suicide joke the second one of the show that was not a murder of a former president joke okay to be clear in case you didn't get it because a lot of my fans don't get jokes which is why i'm in the pickle that i am career-wise so i watched an episode of the good fight i'm into season five i've been mowing it down that's what i do when i wake up early you know it's a good way to like yeah you, you make the coffee and while it cools, I start a show. While I drink it, I finish the show. And then I go to the gym or get the papers or do whatever I do before the bulk of the day starts. So I do enjoy the good fight, actually. Uh, like I said, I'm in season five. So I'm by the end of next week, I'll probably be caught up to their current final season. They just posted episode five of the final season, which is season six. Um, it's 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 a good show and it, had a re- it has a really good cast. It's not perfect, but it's... I was very surprised at how much I enjoy the show. I thought I'd just give it a try to, uh, you know, pacify a fan who made a recommendation. But it turns out I, I am enjoying the show. And it's every so often I like to watch some some regular folk network style TV. Um, 
it's a Paramount Plus show, but it's a spinoff of The Good Wife, which was a successful CBS show. Um, this is basically like a CBS law drama, but with cursing and the occasional uh, nudity because it's on a streaming platform. Um, but several years ago, I watched uh, Smallville on Hulu from start to finish, all nine seasons. And I described it as like milk and cookies. It's not perfect, but the, you know, the hunky good looks of Tom Welling with some some cute women, including uh, Keith Rainier's henchwoman from Nexium, and that Eve was it Eve Six? No, yeah, is it Eve Six who does that song? I think whoever sang that the Somebody Save Me intro song. It was just I felt like ah. Oh, you know what? It's not perfect, but it's it's like I'm having it's like I'm, I'm I'm a teenager just having milk and cookies after school because frankly that's what I did after school. If I wasn't walking dogs or playing basketball, I was probably having milk and cookies and doing homework because I'm a good person and I was a wholesome kid. Okay, there. So Smallville, uh, I actually ended up really enjoying except the last few seasons. And somebody informed me who had been a big fan that like they fired writers or there was a huge issue with cat. It, it, the last few seasons of that show were fucking garbage. Like it was like on any level, like plenty of people might watch Smallville and be like, this is terrible from start to finish. But I was like, no, nah, I'm enjoying like the first six seasons. And then it was just, wow, uh, did it get bad? And and Cookie's leaving. She doesn't. She's not a Tom Welling fan. But um, I remember seeing in that show, uh, what's his name? Kevin from uh, This Is Us played, I think, did he play like Arrow or somebody in the show? And then the guy who played Aquaman is the guy who plays Reacher on Amazon, which is a show I do like. Um, and I always wonder... You see Michael Phelps? And even if you want to go a little bulkier, the guy who won a bunch of the medals at the last Summer Olympics, like the guy from Florida who's like jacked. But like that's as big as a swimmer gets. Otherwise, it's no longer functional. Like Phelps and the guy who won all the Olympics, all the all the medals in 2020, that's as jacked. Like they're jacked, broad-shouldered, athletic, but that's it. But for some reason, Aquaman now has to be played by like defense ripped defensive end size people like Jason Momoa and the guy from Reacher it doesn't make any sense it's like I get it it's shallow TV and movies but but you know a Ryan Reynolds build is really who should be playing Aquaman not a you know not not fucking JJ Watt <laughs> anyway so the good fight has become like my adult Smallville where it's like, yeah, I see flaws, especially especially in sort of the you know how easy courtroom stuff is in drama shows, but that's nothing new. But it's actually it's a pretty good show with a very strong cast, and it solidified my choice as Delroy Lindo to play my father in my eventual eventual semi autobiographical series or end or movie. Delroy Lindo as uh, Louis Covin, and we're still we got to see how they screen test together, but but. You know, Kathy Bates, we got to see how she ages also, because I don't know if the age difference, what the age difference is between those two, or if Delroy Lindo's just, you know, black male aging better than white female. But right now, tentative casting, Delroy Lindo as Louis Covan, Kathy Bates as Anne Covan, um, J.L. Covan as Jean-Louis Covan, uh, no relation. <laughs> <laughs> um, but 
Yeah, good fight's been been good stuff. So that's been like my sort of long-term series. Everything else, the righteous GF wants to watch. So I've got to crawl, go at that snail's pace when I'm not working out, bro, or reading, or making comedy content, or going to work. In those fleeting 45 minutes, I got to watch a joint show. So we watched Dahmer. We just finished that last night. Yeah, pretty good. Um, my joke comparing Evan Peters' performance to the comedian Joe Para, I think is one of my greatest jokes ever. And of course, it got very little because either you know one fan, hashtag fan, wrote, I, j- I deleted my Netflix. Like that was their reason for not getting it. And I'm like, okay, so you deleted Netflix. That was the problem. But you're, you're steeped in Joe Para. Please, you don't get either reference. It's okay. You don't have to tell me. Let me live in ignorance. Let me pretend for these last few moments of my life that my fans actually get what I'm doing. Let me pretend. Let me give the blue pill. Okay? Let me eat this fake steak in the Matrix and just pretend like my fans get comedy. That's all. Just let me let me fade away into that. But, um, uh, yeah, Joe Para. Look up Joe Para. P-E-R-A, and I actually, I remember doing open mics with him and finding, I'll be frank, finding his alt-comic shtick very irritating and and slow, but then I, just to show The Righteous Girlfriend who I was talking about when I made my Jeffrey Dahmer comparison, and she found it eerie. She found it eerie and so on point. She still didn't laugh at me, of course. That's The brand is strong in her. Did not laugh, but she was like, "That's cre- that's crazy like how good the call was. Evan Peters very well might have studied the look and speech of Joe Para. Now, to give Joe Para a compliment, I watched the show that so many people know him from. I mean, so many, but you know, it's his big, it's, he has like an adult swim show. I don't know if it's still on, but it's, I think Joe Para helps you sleep. So I watched it, just one episode, because adult, adult Swim is, uh, do you call it Adult Swim or Adult Swim? Hmm, Interesting. It's like my dilemma with, do you call it the Caribbean, Caribbean, or do you go with the Billy Ocean pronunciation of Caribbean? That's how I like to say it. Oh, we're vacationing in the Caribbean. The where? The Caribbean. You know, where the Caribbean queen is from. Now we're sharing the same dream. No, you don't know. Oh, you pro- oh you pronounce it like the Johnny Depp parrots of the Caribbean. Okay, well, that's 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 one way of pronouncing it. Oh, and you vacation in the Caribbean? Okay, I, I hear you can say it. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, you, you vacation in the Caribbean? Okay, that's. I think I've heard you can say it that way, but I prefer to say it the Caribbean. Okay. Um, but it's like, uh, what, I, what the fuck am I talking about, guys? Anyway, I, I don't know. Tangent times three. But basically, I flipped it on just to show her, and then I started watching, and we both started chuckling. So... The stingiest compliment giver in the comedy game, J.L. Covan, about to say, Hey, Joe Para, I know you don't listen to this program. Nobody does. But I used to find you irritating at open mics, though I respect it was just not my shtick. It wasn't my gig. You obviously have had great success with it. So who the fuck am I? Some bitter nine-time failure in comedy. I've climbed the summit of Everest ten times and every single time. Um, I watched my Sherpa get to the top, and when I was a few paces from the summit, um, I fell back down and ended up broken and angrier. But anyway, Joe Perra uh, obviously has had some real success, and, and I laughed. I felt like the, his adult swim thing had me chuckling. Um, 
the one episode I watched. So that's a nice discovery, to be honest. Like I was just validating my own joke. And it turns out I learned to enjoy another artist's work at the same time. And that's how we all win, guys. Um, But yes, the call, I made the call when I just saw Evan Peters in like screenshots as Jeffrey Dahmer. And I said, and I made this Joe Para joke. Then I watched the show and was like, sometimes my genius gets out of control and I don't even know how good my calls are. I mean, Evan Peters really may have been just studying Joe Para instead of Jeffrey Dahmer. And that was like the basis of his performance. Now, as for the show, I found it a little slow. Um, I, I'm, I am I am sort of happy to see, not happy, but I am, I am engaged in a lot of this content. Like, like I thought a very underrated true crime series, very underrated, was the Menendez Brothers one on NBC with Edie Falco as their lawyer. I thought that was fucking outstanding. Outstanding. Maybe that's available on Peacock or something if you, if you search for it. But it, it was like a lot of these things, like the OJ case, the Menendez Brothers, Dahmer, these were all things that I was like, familiar with because it was just in the news all the time but I'm, I'm like a teenage you know I'm a, I'm a middle schooler I'm not like sitting down with my fucking chocolate milk at breakfast going mom what's going on in the world these days can you believe this Dahmer guy you just sort of pick it up from little quips and so like uh, TV clips and what you hear and then joke references so I'm kind of enjoying seeing a lot of these stories told that I was like around for, but not engaged in at all. Cause I was a kid. Um, I, I know, I think there were some liberties taken with the Dahmer thing. I don't know. I just, this is like little comments people were making. I thought it was good. I, I don't think it was like, I think, I think we're giving some credit to the show that belongs frankly to Jeffrey Dahmer for being such a captivating monster, such a, such a cultural marker in terms of like the depravity of human human nature and, and human beings. But I thought it was good. I was definitely engaged, but it was like slow going at first, kind of like Evan Peters, Joe Para, Jeffrey Dahmer performance. Um, Cookie agrees. If you can hear her in the background, she definitely agrees. She's Cookie is starting to, I think, is she hallucinating? Is she having, do dogs have mental problems? I feel like Cookie is having some mental problems. She just sometimes starts barking at shit like she's, I think maybe she's imagining an intruder and then she comes out and she sniffs the door and there's nothing going on. And then she makes eye contact with me and I'm like, yeah, silly bitch, you're ruining the world's 493rd greatest podcast. Cut it out. Uncle Joey hand gestures. And, but it was slow going. And then everybody was raving about episode six, which was good. And very uh, sympathetic. It's it's the episode where his victim was a, a gay, deaf, black man. Now, obviously, watching the show, you realize Jeffrey Dahmer, the downside of diversity and inclusion, because <laughs> um, he was really out there for marginalized communities, uh, making them feel seen. <laughs> like Jeffrey Dahmer might be the original I see you on social media. And then it was like, and now I eat you. And it's like, oh, no, no, just just see me and maybe fuck me and call me. But do not eat me and murder me. Can we? But yes, thank you for seeing me. Like Jeffrey Dahmer could almost be a Jordan Poole. Jordan Poole? No, he got hit by Draymond Green. Um, Jordan Peele. He could be like a Jordan Peele story. Like, like. Like the, if, if, if 
and I mean this, take this if you're listening to the podcast, Jordan, Jordan Peele, like Jeffrey Dahmer could almost be if you reworked it into modern day, he could be like the ally, like the movie could be called the ally starring who would be a good like devious ally like that you like comes across like I'm an ally, but is actually a horrific murdering piece of shit. Who, who would we cast in that? Who would come off as a good I'm an ally, but is actually a scumbag? It would almost work best if it was somebody in real life who is kind of a good ally. Um, Tom Hanks, I feel like, is too old to be like like a social media savvy like pretender. Um, I don't know. I'll take suggestions on the Podomatic page. Please, let's let's engage on that Podomatic page. That is the Q and A feedback section. If if we have one for this podcast, so if you go to that, if you have a question, comment, answer, thought, request, fill it up there, um, and I will I will read them um, either to myself and make adjustments or address them or you know read them on the show. But um, I think that would be, and then it's like, yes, the ally who makes marginalized people feel seen, and then you realize, oh, it's performative, or oh, um, you know, social media allyship is not real help and not real concern. Um, the ally coming in 2024 from Jordan Peele, co-written by J.L. Covan. God, now I'm like stuck on this though because I want to know who would be a good in the lead as as an ally. Um, damn it. Would it be like, maybe could you make it somebody non-binary maybe like where it's like you, you, you know, just like Dahmer uh, was gay. It was like he lived, he lived that life. He was marginalized to a certain extent in terms of his, his uh, orientation, but obviously, uh, you know, He's not getting honored at any LGBTQ banquets is all I'm saying. But I thought the show was good. I thought episode six was very good, um, very sympathetic. But I the, the part that nobody talked about um, in terms of social media, episode six seemed to get all the hype. Um, when they discover, spoilers, I mean, it's historical, but I didn't know it, most of this stuff. But when they, when they show that the Laotian family, like he... Molest, he kidnaps and molests this like one kid in from some family and he and the kid escapes and so Jeffrey Dahmer goes to trial for that and the judge gives him that like you're a good you know basically the you're 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 a good young white guy with potential I don't want to ruin your life so uh you know probation for a year I mean unbelievably disgusting outcome much like that Stanford swimmer I think who was who was accused of rape and then like was convicted was he convicted and then sentenced to like nothing like something really fucked up uh I, I, many of you are probably familiar with what i'm what i'm referencing it was kind of like that except the, you know well no not except it's it's sort of you know sexually assaulting a woman and kidnapping a child or like you know one is probably considered more heinous but they're they're in the, they're they're in the mount rushmore of awful crimes of course however you rank them and then he ends up kidnapping, like molesting or whatever, and killing the 14-year-old younger brother of that guy. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, and I'm, you know me. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big preacher of forgiveness and all that stuff. But 
how that fa- and I this is not an accusation of the family. I'm like I don't know how somebody in the family didn't just murder him in court or something like I and I mean that like completely like and and there is no dollar amount that the judicial system could give to make up for that like I couldn't everybody talked about the the deaf guy getting getting killed and I was like yeah that's very sad because it was like a very touching sort of sad story of a guy who was looking you know for for love and thought he found it in this manipulative monster but the family, I mean, I, it, it was, oh my God, like that, that to me was the gut wrenching part because it was like, I complain a lot about comedy, but, and feeling like, uh, am I a conspiracy theorist? But if that happened to, to my family, I, I, I don't like it's, it's how do you, how do you want to go? Like, how do you not either be filled with like suicidal thoughts or homicidal rage or both. Like it's, it's, it's just, that was the one that really got me just from like a sort of historical fact point of view, but it was a very good series. I thought it was, I, I mean, you know, I'm going to say this, this is kind of my mantra when it comes to limited series, the gold standard for limited series is Chernobyl and was it Chernobyl? No, it was not, but it was good. It was very, I'll even say it was very good. I, I, as much as you can enjoy a show like that, I, do I think it was great? Not really, but I thought it was good. I thought it was like very, very well done, worth watching. Um, but yeah, so I don't, I guess, I don't know. This was, this is fun so far, I think. Um, and the reason I'm talking maybe in a, maybe I, I must've talked about this last week, but, um, I'm supposed to this weekend, the weekend is 12 hours away from being over. TikTok. I'm supposed to see the next edit of Half Blackface. And once once we have agreed on the final edit, which, hey, if this is a good edit, I may say yes, but I'm not going to. I must. There are certain bits that I cannot allow to be cut. So I have to make sure that certain bits have not been cut to get it to a 60 to 65 minute um, time frame. But assuming that I like what they did and I love the first edit, um, you know, we're going to be a lot closer now. Finally, my, my ultimatum, I think worked, uh, for whatever that's worth my ultimatum. That was basically like, um, I need to own this in two weeks. If, if I do not have like a contract and a, and a final version. Um, and I think that was enough. And, and, and the optimist, the stupid optimist in me says, well, if that made them hurry, that must mean they still see value in it, I guess. Or it could just be like, they don't want to lose out on any money. But it could be that they see value in it because it's certainly been a hassle for me. And because of that, it's been a hassle for them. So, you know, as I try to once again find optimism that will eventually break my heart, uh, I have to think maybe they still see the high quality and high value to this project, which, you know, gives me a little bit of hope when it gets pitched. But only a little bit because, after all, this is me and this is comedy and those two things uh, never seem to get along. So, speaking of comedy, guys, shows, a lot of shows coming up. I hope you're listening. Um, I know you're listening. Um, I just hope it's reaching. I hope some of the people listening to this uh, live near the many places that I'm performing. But I just can't. I can't get people to sign up for the newsletter. I can't get the algorithm to show my my work to, to people. So, it's... You know, it's this podcast and it's the special. And after that, it's sort of by default over. But it's not over yet. So gigs. This Friday, 
York, Pennsylvania, with friend of the show, friend in real life, uh, Chris Lamberth, opening for me. York, Pennsylvania. The gig is on my calendar page um, with ticket link. Um, in Nyack, New York, a Democratic fundraiser that I'm headlining. Uh, somebody congratulated me on Twitter for it, and uh, I didn't have. The, I, I just chose not to go. Well, it's 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 an unpaid gig. It says I'm volunteering. Basically, I'm getting like probably a little bit of money, maybe money for travel, like my. New Jersey transit tickets. So it's, it's definitely not paying a lot, if anything. So I don't know if a congratulations was in order. Um, but, uh, the best way to congratulate me, of course, is to buy a ticket to whatever event I'm doing and come see it. Um, in, 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 in the comedy business, the, it, it is not the thought that counts. It is actually the, the I am full of thoughts being counted <laughs> and, and my ticket sales are full of, uh, empty action and tons of good thoughts. But uh, fundraiser in Nyack, uh, New York, on Saturday. So I get home from York, Pennsylvania, go to the gym, bro, shower up, and then just head out to Nyack. And then um, after that, Princeton, New Jersey, the 20, was it, 27th and 28th? Yeah, I'm taking a little cheat sheet, look at the calendar. 28th, 29th, you son of a bitch. Uh, Princeton, catch a rising star. So come to those gigs. Um, if you're anywhere near Princeton, New Jersey, uh, I am still waiting. I may be in Long Island on the 21st and 22nd at the, the brokerage. If though, if that gig does not come through this week, that means I will be there in January. So obviously I will keep you informed of that. But if you're a Long Island person who happens to listen to this, uh, just pencil in the 21st and 22nd and I will know by next week's episode, obviously, whether uh, that is actually happening or if uh, it'll be a January gig. The closer we get, the more likely it is that it'll be a January gig, obviously. Um, and then in November, uh, big shows in Ann Arbor, Michigan at Ann Arbor Comedy Showcase. Been waiting three years to get back there. Finally happened. Um, those are November 11th and 12th. Um, so come to those shows. Um, if you listen to me and live in, I, I don't know. I don't know where anybody lives that listens to this, but it seems like most people who listen to the show do not live anywhere near my shows, wherever the shows are. It could be in your basement and you'll be like, ah, I'm on vacation that week. Or I'm actually performing in your apartment. Ah, we just sold it. <laughs> I am performing in your moving van. Um, we can't find the lock on the moving van. We, we, we can't open the van. So you got to perform in dark silence because we lost the key. Uh, to the moving van, but, but next time, next time, Joe, next time we move and you're in our moving van, um, we will, uh, we hope to, to see you. We, we want to support you. Um, and then November 23rd, day before Thanksgiving, if you're an upstate, way upstate New Yorker, uh, Syracuse funny bone, which is one of those gigs that like, if I sell a lot of tickets, I make a lot of money. If I don't sell a lot of tickets, they might cancel the show and I will actually lose money on my non-refundable hotels.com booking. Uh, so, uh, that's it's always it's 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 so much fun when your career is like a game a constant game of Russian roulette and you almost always lose. It's a it, comedy is like Russian roulette, but where you put five bullets in the six bullet chamber and spin it and go, please don't. <laughs> um, so those are the gigs. I hope you can uh, make one, um, and I hope if you have friends in one of those areas, maybe spread the word, not out of pity, but out of come see this guy before his special comes out, because there's a 0.3% chance that the special becomes a cultural touchstone and makes him a global superstar. And you can say you saw him before. 
Um, obviously, there's a 99.7% chance that the special um, will flop miserably despite being good. And um, this will be the end of the road for him. But but you know what? He's worth that 0.3% chance. So uh, I'm also seeing uh, Death of a Salesman this Wednesday with Chris Lamberth. So it's Lamberth week at the Righteous Prick Studios. Um, it's it's the black it's the black uh, death of a salesman, which I got to admit, not to sound like a fucking Bill Maher or, or some guy like that, but the marketing for death of a salesman is kind of making me annoyed because it's like I got the email today, get re- you know about my tickets, and they were like death of a salesman, the the version that looks like America, and they're just kind of saying like it's got black people, it's like a black family this time, which. I've made the joke that like you're not going to get any protests. There's two reasons you won't get any protests about Death of a Salesman recast, like having a black cast. One is because most of the people who will complain aren't theater-going art folk. And the second reason is if you're a fucking insecure, hostile, conservative white person, are you really going to be upset about a story about a struggling family that, that ends in suicide? Are you going to really be upset about that being portrayed by a black person? or a black family, you're probably going to go, oh, no, that's exactly the kind of diversity we're looking for. That uh, I welcome that diversity. As long as it's not somebody doing co- cool things or, ha- or succeeding, we want to keep those to the whites. But if it's uh, somebody who you know succumbs to addiction or kills themselves or fails at life, um, we welcome the broad tapestry and diversity of America in those roles. White power. Anyway, um, <laughs> So, but I, I just, it's annoying to me because it's like, is, is we have to, we have to like market death of a salesman, like the Pulitzer prize winning famous play. Like we have to, we have to like make sure people know, like, it's like, this is the one that looks like, well, it doesn't look like America. It looks like one slice of America. Like, let's be honest. Um, there are more struggling white people than there are struggling black people in America. So it's not like death of a salesman doesn't also represent America. If it's white people, I guess maybe it would, he'd have, you have to update Arthur Miller's and make them like much more racist and like MAGA loving. If you did a modern version of death of a salesman, but I get what they're saying. But at the same time, I was just like, I think it's cool. And I think it's perfectly just normal. It's perfect. But this kind of like, you know, you've got to do this balance. You've got to decide, like, do we do we market it to everybody or do we kind of try to juice up like people of color coming to the theater more for this to let them know, like, this is your death of a salesman. And I get it from a marketing standpoint, but I'm just like, eh, sometimes something should just be like, hey, Wendell Pierce is a good actor. I'm sure everybody in this fucking play is talented. It's a classic play. Let's just go see it. We just had, I mean, we just had, what was it? Black Macbeth, Black Beth with, with Denzel Washington. We can do Black Death of a Salesman without making it a big thing. I get why it's an important thing. And obviously the great pride Wendell Pierce has in playing Willie Loman. Um, but I don't know. I, I just, it was like getting emails like this is the one that looks like America. I was like, well, so did the other one to be honest. <laughs> um, but we, we, it's where we are. It's where we are as a country. Like, I can be annoyed and yet clearly see the validity, both financially and culturally, of emphasizing this 
not just like but it but it almost makes it feel like oh was the first, was was the white death of a salesman like not properly representing America? Yes, it was. It was representing a slice of America. So it wasn't like there was no crime in the play being portrayed by white people. Um I think it's good that it's it's and and I think it's good that it's a black family. Um in this one like because it just shouldn't it matters and that will inform performances but obviously the work is the the words are the words like the play is the play there's it's it's not going there's there's no i'm pretty sure there's not gonna be rewrites of arthur miller's work it will just simply show that yeah it works for any working class community in america and and it might hey after i see it maybe i'll say "Eh, it actually has like more powerful resonance than just a struggling white family because there's there's added historical weight perhaps to the struggles of a black Willie Loman. So I I get it, um, you know. Whereas like if it was a Latino uh, 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 Willie Willie Lopez, it would be um, you know maybe by the end of it he decides to register as a Republican um, instead of killing himself. <laughs> um, anyway, so that's what's happening this week. And now I have, in, in the spirit of Chris Lambert, who often discusses music, I'm not a big, I, I like the music that I like, but I don't get into too much new music. But I decided, you know what, I purchased three new albums recently. And Keith Blair, fan, big fan of the show, um, big, big, big Fran, a big Fran, that's a friend fan um, in, in, in Connecticut. Uh, I guess is that I hope that's uh, not too much information. It's a big state. And and come on, with all the fancy white people, there's probably a lot of people with the first and or last name Blair in Connecticut. So you can't pin him down. But uh, he had said that Demi Lovato, like a, maybe a month or two ago, he was like, oh, Demi Lovato has a new album. It might be interesting to get a review. I think that might have been a Patreon request but um, or a private message. Uh, but I did. I bought it because I'm a Demi Lovato fan. Um and uh, what's not to like? She's a talented beige person uh, with uh, whose weight fluctuates a lot. So you know, hashtag soulmates. But I also bought obviously my my Twitter patron and the only celebrity who actually came out to see me perform live on my 2022 tour, uh, Richard Marks, and he came with his wife Daisy Fuentes. So that was pretty pretty cool. I remember the host in L.A. going, "Are you?" are you friends with, is Richard Marks here? Is he like a friend of yours? And I was like, well, yeah, he's a fan. But I just wanted to be like, hey, bitch, that's why you're emceeing for me. Don't question me. Don't try to diminish who showed up to see me perform like there's some gimmick to it. We didn't go to college together. We're not, we're not frat mates. We're not songwriting partners. He's a fan of my work. Are we also very friendly? Of course. He's been very kind to me on social media, but you know, I just didn't like, I, I hated the tone of like the incredulity of like, are, are you guys like friends? Are you neighbors? Did you like so fucking, are you his fucking lawyer? Is that why he's here to see you perform? Cause I can't comprehend that. Like the guy who's headlining on the show that I'm hosting might be doing some things fucking LA. But, um, and he did like two hacky right here waiting bits from the stage. And I was like, you fuck. But uh, great guy otherwise, I'm sure. But um, that just annoyed me. But uh, bought his album, bought his pre-ordered his new album several weeks ago. 
Um, and then it became fully, fully available, uh, like last week, I think, you know, there were a couple of bonus tracks that you could get access to, and then the whole album was available. And then I also decided to, uh, get Beyonce's new album, which I had heard good things about. And I don't do Apple music or any subscribe. I just, if I want an album, I buy it. I'm old school like that. It's yes, it's a waste of money, but I like, I like committing to music, not just having it as like a, like a just ethereal temporary thing that I can just access and won't like, I feel like if I own an album and like it, it will become part of a rotation. It's something I will revisit. Whereas if it's just in the, in the ether of the, the cloud, it'll just be like, I listened to it once it was okay. And now it's just, it's just floating along, never to be touched again. But I figured in the spirit of Chris Lambert, who talks about music. And since we were both doing a show and going to a show together this week, um, I'd review three albums. How about that? So inspired by fan Fran Keith Blair, and uh, in the spirit of in the spirit of Lamberth, some album reviews. So the first one I listened to was Richard Marks. I, I make it a, a habit to uh, binge listen to the album uh, of the person who has supported my comedy the most. And considering that Demi Lovato has been silent on my comedy and Beyonce. Um, had the audacity to marry uh, another superstar who goes by the initials J something else. I thought Richard Marks gets priority here. Uh, I enjoyed the album. What, what, what took me out early on with Richard Marks, because what's cool is that he has a couple songs that are very rock. Like, and I think this has been maybe a frustration for him in some ways that like he has a much more diverse catalog of songs, but, but the iconic songs he's done are almost almost all, not exclusively, but almost all sort of like power ballads and they're great. But when you become so big at something, hashtag Trump impersonator, it sometimes is hard for even fans to like branch out to, to appreciate or listen or, or absorb other things that you do, even if they're really good. Um, so there's like a couple songs, but I know from his biography, which I actually, I know this sounds like oh, biography, so he knows me, I'm his friend. But I really enjoyed his biography, Stories to Tell. And there is a chapter that makes the whole – the whole book is really interesting. The, the role Lionel Richie had in his life. Like Lionel Richie just is like, you know, when Lionel Richie passes, which was hopefully not for a long time, I mean the best obituary you can give for, for Lionel Richie is like are the things that Richard Marks says about him, about how helpful he was and, and kind and supportive early in his career. It's just, it's, it's like really, it's really, it shows the importance of, of like a mentor and somebody opening doors, but also the, the power that a, a person with power who has a good heart and, and a good eye for talent can, can do. Um, this is basically a cry for help that if there's a comedy Lionel Richie out there, I could use your help. Okay, moving on. But there's a chapter in that book about him running from like fleeing the Chinese mob. It's, 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 that chapter could be the movie pitch. Like in other words, the trailer for the movie could just be that. And then you realize at the end of the trailer, it's like, it's Richard Marks and you like have a laugh because you're like Richard and you're like, but you put one of those disclaimers that's like, this all happened. And people would be like, wait, what? This is crazy. Um, so, but he, in the book, he talks about having written like a number one country hit with, I, I want to say Keith Urban. Um, he wrote like a ballad that charted very high for In Sync. So he's like a lot of talented people. It's like when his performing career was no longer like stadium touring and arena, he, he was still a skilled and accomplished songwriter. So he's written in like these different genres. So this, this album, 
Um, it starts with one of the releases, Same Heartbreak, Different Day, which I enjoyed. Um, Moscow Calling I enjoyed. because And it's so – this is the thing with streaming, guys. It's like all the songs have stars that are like, I guess, getting more plays. But because people do the streaming thing, they've made it six songs in. Like the first six songs on the album have the star next to them, meaning like these are like kind of the hits or the more popular songs. But it's like – and it's the same thing on like the Demi Lovato album also where it's like, okay, so people download – like stream it and they just go, oh, okay, I'm liking it. They don't finish the album or they get a little bit into it. They give it a chance or they, they don't – absorb it as an entire project that's why i kind of mentally like to purchase a full album because it's like now i own it and now i can use it at my leisure and and you know just like an old school album how you just throw it in and you you listen you hear the hits you hear the other stuff and maybe you pick up a b-side that you're like oh that's a i like that one that's not a hit that's not a single but that i'm glad i listened to the whole album um and I think he wrote Same Heartbreak, Different Day with his son. And I wanted to, to make a joke, who's a songwriter. And I wanted to make a joke where I'm like, Richard Marks in his book says he likes, he's always been a big fan, as have I, um, of like sad love songs and stuff. But Richard Marks is in a very happy marriage. Um, so I, I want to make a joke. I'm like, by the fifth like heartbreak love song or longing for someone else or a broken relationship that makes you sad or being angry over like somebody treating you wrong... At what point does Daisy Fuentes go, hey, Richard, um, good album, but like, are you trying to tell me something? <laughs> but and then he has this song, Shame on You, which is, which is about Trump. It's it's clearly about Trump and MAGA. And it's like a little more of a rock song. It's just like, you're a liar. You're, you're a piece of shit. <laughs> I mean, he doesn't say it, but it's like, that's the gist of it. And it kind of counteracts a sketch I wrote called Richard Mark's Tweets. Which is me as Richard Marks. I did purchase like an 80s hair, hair band wig. Obviously, I haven't filmed the sketch yet. What I would probably do is film it and then send it to him privately and be like, want to get your permission for this out of respect, but I hope you enjoy it. And if you really think it's like sucks or you don't want it out there, I won't put it out. But I think he'd probably find it very funny because the gist of it is him at like a charity event playing some of his new songs for like a, a, an audience of children. But then he keeps getting tweet alerts from like MAGA people. So it's like Richard Marks. I did this for the Patreon, um, my personal Patreon, patreon.com slash jlcovan. Go check it out. If you like my videos and my podcasts and whatnot, there is, I am doing way too much on that Patreon for how much I charge and for how many patrons I have. But uh, it's worth your time if you're a fan of mine. It's the only plug I'll make, but it's content is constantly flooding in there and it's really good stuff. Um, but it was basically like, you know, him singing a song about like shelter animals and how, you know, that's why he's a vegan and about his love, like another song about his love for Daisy Fuentes and all he said, but then each time he gets interrupted by a tweet from like a MAGA account. And then you just see like darkness enshroud him as he starts tweeting. And it's like these nasty, vicious comebacks. And then like it gets bright again and he goes back to the piano and he's like, Oh, sorry about that. I just had to write that tweet. Anyway, this song is about, charity work I did for an animal rights organization and how I adopted my puppy. I love my puppy. Ding! And then he goes back to his phone and the guy's like, you one-hit wonder bitch. And he's going, how can I be a fucking one-hit wonder when I tapped your mom's ass twice in 1983? Send. Hey guys, what's up? 
uh, let's just get back to let's go to a new song I wrote for my wife Daisy Fuentes, um, who's beautiful inside and out. Daisy, I saw you on MTV, and now you're with me. Ding! Hey, Richard Marks. I'm so sad I, I had one of your songs as my wedding song, you lib cuck. And then, you know, you get where it's going. <laughs> I hope you're laughing at that because I fucking love this idea. And But this song, Shame on You, was not what I was expecting because it's basically like a fuck you to Trump. And I was like, ooh, so he's actually doing it with his music. The, the joke was kind of this juxtaposition of this like, ballad talented singer songwriter balladeer being like a vicious killer on twitter i think he'd still appreciate that but like my artistic integrity i was like well there is the song shame on you where he's definitely taking the gloves off musically not just twitterly but um there's a song just go which i really liked and then i really like um one day longer um, which was one of the releases but see it was one of the releases but it's not starred because it's track 13 which is just annoying and and um there's some like loving tender songs at the end and one is a, one is a tribute to his to his uh recently deceased mother um so it's a, it's a very varied album there's a couple songs like one day longer has like a real is like a basically a country song like a twangy country song but it's really good and i just think the album showcases like a lot of variety like I think anybody who, who, if you like anything Richard Marx has done, there's going to be like at least a handful of songs where you're like, oh, I like that, or oh, I didn't expect that. That was good. Like, that was different than I was expecting, and it was really good. My only thing with his stuff is you get so, like, it's, it's like the drawback. It's like, the, it's like a double edged sword having like iconic songs where it's like if you do something different, it takes you a minute to just be like, wait, uh, right here waiting? No, this isn't right here waiting. Should have known bet. No, it's uh, um, hold on to the night. That's my favorite Richard Marx. Well, it's not that because it's like you, you, the, those songs have endured for like 30 fucking years more. Jesus. So it's like you, when you have a hit, that's like a big hit and it's like a wedding song for, for decades. And it's like, it's almost, it's like those songs have paid the bills and have made him very wealthy and famous. But at the same time, you almost have to just be like, this is Richard Marx doing other stuff and it's good, but you like, it's like, it's, it's literally when I do something other than Trump, not to compare the two, but it's like, there's immediate drop off where people are like, you know, I, I make a joke in my own voice and people are commenting very strongly, sir. And I'm like, that was just me. Like not everything I do is, is a Donald Trump thing and you don't have to relate back to Donald Trump. So like when somebody makes a right here waiting joke to Richard Marx, he probably is like, I get it inside. He's probably using his Twitter voice of like, I'll fucking kill you if you say that to me again. But outside he has to, he has to appreciate like, well, my house was paid for by right here waiting. So I'm not going to be too mad that like, that's what the person references. But that's what I kept thinking during the song. What I found remarkable during the album, what I found remarkable is his voice is like the same. Like that's something I have to, I'm going to see him perform in November in Jersey. And I want to, uh, like, I kind of, Without being like too fanboyish, I want to be like, how do you keep, like, how is your, how is your voice the same? Like you're 59, your voice is the same as it was when you were like 24. Um, it's just, it's sort of remarkable, which is once again, makes you kind of think back to all those iconic songs. But yeah, there were, there, I liked the album. It was a good listen. I just went for like a hour long walk and just pressed play. 
And, uh, you know, then I like to check while I'm listening when a song changes to be like, oh, okay, that's this song. That's why I was like, Moscow Calling, Just Go, One Day Longer, uh, Same Heartbreak, Different Day. Um, a lot of good songs um, and a lot of range. So um, obviously most of you probably subscribe to some music service, but, you know, I, I live my truth and my truth is uh, I want you to buy my album. So I buy people's albums that I want to support and enjoy. So uh, thumbs up for song songwriter is the name of the album, um, and then we get to uh, and I felt like this was this was a representative sample. It was like um, one album by a black person, one album by a white person, and one album by a beige person with weight issues. And I thought this is this is my DNA in three albums. Um, granted, white man, black woman, not black man, white woman, but same thing, same same basic composition. So I want to talk about Demi Lovato's album next. Holy fuck. But she spells fuck with a V so it can beat the censors. And for some reason, Beyonce and Demi Lovato, all the tracks in their album and the title of the album are capitalized. I preferred Richard Mark's uh, method of just capitalizing the first first letter like a, like a normal fucking person, um, not capitalizing every track. It's weird. It's almost like somebody had caps lock on by accident. But Demi Lovato's album, holy fuck. Now, Demi Lovato... I've made jokes. I've made impassioned pleas uh, for us to get together as a power couple. Um, there's a lot of range in my uh, affection and, and joking of, of Demi Lovato, her, from her hair to her, to her talent, to her choice in um, uh, partners, etc. But the music, the skills, the talent, undeniable. Undeniable. It's, it's one of the things that makes her attractive, even when she's put on a, little, a couple of pounds. As long as she doesn't have the haircut of the uh, Las Vegas Raiders owner, that's really the only deal breaker for me. As long as she stays away from, from that haircut, um, she's got a lot of flexibility um, in terms of, in terms of uh, what she can bring to the table. Um, because that talent, that, 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 that beige talent, and maybe it's just the narcissism in me, that I'm just, I'm attracted to people that could also describe me if you're doing it in vague terms. <laughs> Racially ambiguous, beige, and very talented. Ooh, I'm hard. Who is it? Uh, it's a guy. Well, okay. Now I only have a semi because I'm not gay, but I am very narcissistic. Uh, but, you know, my first introduction to her was when The Righteous Girlfriend, we were just starting to date, and she was like, oh, I want to watch like the... no." Yes, she was like, I want to watch the uh, VMAs or, or one of the awards. I'm like, whatever. And it was Demi Lovato singing Cool for the Summer. And then I saw her do it again on Jimmy Kimmel as like one of his summer stage performances. And just to be fair, I know she was unhappy because she had to be so disciplined with her diet and it was miserable. But she looked fucking hot. Real hot. She had that short, she could carry off the short haircut. The talent, like the talent was like cover. That's like a great feeling when you're a guy where it's like, uh, well, I know this 21-year-old is like, maybe I'm, I'm lusting a little too much, but oh my God, she really has insane talent, and now I can hide that creepy lust in a genuine affection for her talent. I now have jujitsued it, and now I look substantive for liking her because she's so talented. And Cool for the Summer, I was just like, wow. Great song, great vocals. Who is this person? Because I don't follow Disney kids. Sorry. Um... And, you know, she had dated Wilmer Valderrama, and then she dated like an MMA guy, and then she got engaged after three months and did a documentary. So I remember buying Cool for the Summer, the single, 
Um, that was off an album called Confident, which is also a great title track, though. Don't watch, well, actually, watch the video for Confident. She Looks Hot. The video is hot garbage. Good song, though. Never bought the full album, but, but bought those two singles. Then I remember hearing on a podcast or like a radio show her song from 2012, which I guess was her like nice pop debut, Give Your Heart a Break. What a great pop song. And it starts, it starts with that same Carly Rae Jepsen, like, vim, 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 like a little pop violin intro. And I don't know, hers, I think, was, I think hers predated uh, Call Me Maybe. But great pop song. I was like, all right. And I looked at the cover and I was like, oh, it's a little chubbier. I mean, cute, but chubby, chubbier. But like, oh, this confident one, man, man, oh, man, this is great. And then, you know, she started having a lot of personal problems and issues. She did a phenomenal um, Star Spangled Banner, I think, at the Super Bowl or some major event. A great, great rendition of the Star Spangled Banner. But then it came out that she is having real drug issues, a suicide attempt, maybe. Um, real, real mental health and addiction struggles. And then she came out with this documentary on YouTube, four-part documentary, which, of course, I watched and bought the companion album, Dancing with the Devil. Good album, by the way. I think it's a very solid album. Not perfect, but very solid. Several very good songs, but very well produced. Good, a good, very good rangy pop album. I enjoyed it. Um, so by now, I've established that I'm both a, substan- a substantive and shallow fan of Demi Lovato. And then Holy Fuck comes out, or should I call it Holy Favuk? Favuk. Fivik. It sounds like like a like a like a Russian general. I am holy Fivik. <laughs> holy Fivik. But holy Fivik. Vivk. Holy Vivk. Holy Vivk. I am from Moscow. My name is General Vladimir Holy Vivk. But holy Vivk, uh, or as holy fuck, if we'll say it in the adult version of the podcast. Uh, I bought it. I bought it sight sight unseen or whatever the fucking phrase is. I said I'm getting this. She's she's earned just an automatic buy. Well, boy, did I regret that. Not afraid of admitting that maybe your romance with Demi Lovato is over. But I will say that with a caveat. The first five songs, okay, and pardon my analogy and the insensitivity of it, it sounded like Marilyn Manson raping Avril Lavigne. Now, that never actually happened, but Marilyn Manson is an accused sexual uh, predator or groomer or abuser. I addressed that on the forthcoming album version of half blackface in one of my favorite tracks. And I'll just give you the one, one of the punchlines, which is Marilyn Manson was me too. But, uh, I feel like that's less of a me too. And more of a no shit. Great line, great comedian, Papa John's. And the first five tracks of this sounded like Avril Lavigne getting sexually assaulted by Marilyn Manson. That is the musical equivalent of what it was. And I go, boy, did I make a mistake? Why is she going? So this is like her rock album. She decided, um, I'm rebelling, I'm doing rock, and it's very, eh, I was not enjoying the album until track six, and it all turns around. Track six is called 29. Now, this got a lot of social media buzz like a month or two ago when I guess the album first came out, because it's clearly about Wilmer Valderrama, um, the, the Hollywood Lothario who has a habit of dating, you know, he, had, he was on this very strong run, he's a good looking guy. For sure, but he is on this real good run of dating like Disney girls and Lindsay Lohans as soon as they turned like seventeen and a half, and 
the uh, 29 is how Demi, how old Demi Lovato is now. And it's a reflection on him being 29 when they dated when she was seven or started seeing each other when she was 17. And it has immediately joined Janie's Got a Gun in my Mount Rushmore of songs that rock so hard that I wish I didn't actually know what they were about. Um, this is a great song, a great rock pop song. Um, let me just give you one bar from it. Just five years of bleeder, student, and the teacher. Ooh. It, and it, but it rot like the song is good. And it's also very obviously personal and very raw. But that's when the album turned around for me. Um, there, yes, it's still rock. It's still this kind of different sound for her. But those first five tracks, I was like, I don't know what she's doing. I don't, I don't know what, what in the name of all that is holy she's doing on this album. But boy, I hate to regret a Demi Lovato purchase. But then we get to 29 and it was like that deep trauma just fucking kicked the album into overdrive. And I was like, more of this, Demi, more more personal trauma exploration. That's where we need to go with your music. And the next song is called Happy Ending, which kind of sounds a little bit like the chorus has a little bit of Wonder Boy by Tenacious D. If you, if you know what I'm talking about and you listen to both, you'll know what I'm saying. But a lot of good songs after that. City of Angels, pretty solid. Wasted, pretty good. Um, after that, it's just, it's a it's good. It's good enough with some, some highlights. Um, but those first five songs, I was like, what is going on here? This is what happens when you just let an artist prioritize doing something different over doing something good. Obviously you got to experiment, but I think you experiment by doing like a couple of rock tracks. You don't try to do a whole different sound you've never done. This is my, you know, stupid non-musical opinion, but man, when we get to 29, see 29 got all the buzz, I think because of the fact that it was, about like a former a Hollywood former boyfriend and it's paints a very unflattering disgusting light um, but it's also a tremendous song musically so I love that, that song kicked ass 29 that's and it saves the album it's literally like the album was down 05 in a best of 11 series so next song that sucks renders the album a loss and 29 turned it around and from then on Yes, there was still very much rock influence in a lot of the songs, but just it was so much it was so much better from that point on. But twenty nine is the clear standout on the album. I've already listened to it like twelve times. But it's also a little sad. If I can if I can share with you guys a personal reflection on the song, because she's talking about the twelve year age difference between her and Wilmer Valderrama and, and one of the lines in the song she goes, Now I'm twenty nine. And she says, 17 would never cross my mind, which I thought was like a very good line. Um, but I thought, well, if you hate this 41-year-old, then you're probably going to fucking be grossed out by a admittedly tall, strong, talented, substantive, Georgetown law-educated 43-year-old. Like you'll probably be like, it'll be like triggering. In fact, I'm not as beige as Wilmer Valderrama, but it might even be more triggering if it's like, oh no, not another beige entertainer with a double-digit age lead on me. And then she vomits and does heroin and like, 
writes a song about me called Tall Creep. And I'll be like, that, that's probably not about me, right? That's probably not a song about me. Six, seven, thought he was comedy's gift from heaven. Turns out he's just a self-absorbed, depression-riddled piece of shit. Tall creep. <laughs> but special thank you to Wilmer Valderrama. You saved the album, buddy. Without you being a fucking grooming creep in Hollywood, this album might have been lost to the ash heap of Disney, Disney and friends, but you saved it. So we salute your creepiness. Uh, the album turns around from that point on. So 29, the standout track. There's other good tracks that I mentioned, but 29 is just so, so much the, the star, the LeBron James of the, uh, of, of the, um, album. And then the third and last album that I gave a listen to in the last few days, a full listen to while going on one of my nice, long, lovely walks through New Jersey was Beyonce's Renaissance. Now the, my favorite thing about the Beyonce album is I don't know if she had, um, if it's pregnancy or if she had a, a breast augmentation or if it's just Photoshopped, but boy, oh boy, she's sitting scantily clad on the cover of that album with a whole lot of, uh, she may be Beyonce, but it looks like double Deonce in that, in that outfit. Um, Renaissance. Let's find it. Look, we're a creepy person. Look, at, but Beyonce is not a Disney kid. Like Beyonce is a grown ass, uh, grown ass woman. She's a milf. She's a she's an icon. So um, I can do this right. Um, Renaissance cover Beyonce, double Beyonce. I, yeah, I thought that was pretty good. Maybe you didn't. I don't give a shit. Oh yeah, she's riding some like some some translucent horse. She look, I mean, she looks, she looks ready for fucking adult films in this thing. So, you know, that is what I, oh, wow. Yeah, there's, e that's either Photoshop augmentation or, uh, you know, a heavy heaping of, of, of breast milk. Um, either, whatever the case may be, uh, like never looked better. Um, she's just, she's just riding that crystal horse. And uh, looking stunning. The album, on the other hand, I did not care for. <laughs> I should have just bought a giant poster of the album cover and left it at that. Saved myself twelve ninety nine or how much, however much I spent. But it's basically a dance album, and I'm not that into dance music. That is like specifically dance. Like this is my club. This is my club album. I don't go to clubs. Okay. Um, a couple of the songs were good, but nothing really made me stand out and go, oh yeah, that's a good song. I did notice on the song Move, which was one of the better songs in my opinion, it features Grace Jones. And all I can think about it with Grace Jones is why wasn't she in The Woman King? All due respect to the great acting talent of Viola Davis, but she's a little doughy if I can be, if we can just be real blunt for a warrior, a warrior queen. You know, hey, she looks great for her, for her age, but like, you know, Grace Jones on the other hand, that's a that's a woman king. That is a woman like Grace Jones. That's my standard for a woman king. That that she will kick the fucking shit out of you, Grace Jones. Whereas Viola Davis looks more like a she'll shame you with her integrity and her intensity, but Grace Jones looks like she'll rip your fucking head off. And she didn't. Why didn't Grace Jones have any part in the Woman King? I wonder. 
I wonder. Colorism, is she too dark just because she is the, you know, she's super duper dark? Probably not colorism because Viola Davis is pretty dark too. That was just a weird attempt at a colorism joke that didn't work. But Grace Jones, my first choice for Woman King. But Viola Davis did a great job. And she looked good, but you know what I mean. Grace Jones is built like a fucking Olympic athlete. So when I, I only say Viola Davis appeared doughy in comparison. She didn't look doughy. I'm just thinking when you come to the woman king and you're like, Grace Jones is my standard. 1985 Grace Jones is my standard for woman king. And then you're like, oh, this lady uh, seems like she'd be like the attorney general for the woman king, Viola Davis. Like strong, but strong mentally even more than physically. So like attorney general, woman, woman attorney general, is that even a thing? Can you even have a woman attorney general? That sounds so funny. <laughs> Just kidding, guys. Loretta Lynch. It's Loretta Lynch. Remember her? Remember Janet Reno? Nobody went harder than Janet Reno. Janet Reno would have fucking burned Mar-a-Lago to the ground. Man, that would have been... Uh, awesome. Just a joke. Just a joke, guys. But imagine, imagine if she just went in there and got the, the branch Trumpinians out of Mar-a-Lago with a big fire. By the way, speaking of fire, the new Beavis and Butthead on Paramount Plus is absolutely wonderful. God, I love that. I love that. It's so good. It's, they've like changed nothing in some ways, but it's like, it feels even better than it was in the nineties. But I love the new Beavis and Butthead. A lot of, some big Paramount Plus some big ups for Paramount Plus on this episode. Who saw that coming? Um, but the Beyonce album, it felt like she was, she had a checklist, like she had to mention every possible social media slang term before the end of the album. Like, you know, obviously the first title, I'm That Girl, that's the first one, that's the title of the title track. But it just felt like, as I'm listening to the album, I'm like, I'm not even sure what she's talking about, but I'm just hearing every black Twitter catchphrase just uttered in some context, whether it was like made sense or not. And I was just like, okay, is this just like some sort of validation authenticity album where it's like, oh, she, there's a track called thick, but it's spelled the French way, T H I Q U E. And I was like, oh, thick. <laughs> Why is she saying thick? That looks like thick. Um, but I just, I will say this. I walked faster while listening to the album. So maybe as a workout, I think Karen sometimes even says this on the black guy who tips. Um, that I feel like she is sometimes referenced maybe, and maybe I'm making this up, but I feel like that it was good workout music. Cause this is the last Beyonce album I bought was the secret one she put out like with no announcement in 2013, which I did like that album that had for me many more listenable songs than, than this one, which just feels like a, like a, like a, maybe like an exercise or a dance club album, but I just didn't really care for it. Um, like the tone of it, what I did like is that it, in many ways, it almost felt like some DJ doing like one long set because the transitions are so like kind of seamless, like it bleeds into the other song, which is one, another, another, if you like it, it's another example of like either listening to the whole album, if you're a streamer or buying it to make sure that you listen to it in, in total, because it does, the album does bleed into each other where it feels almost like one set from a DJ versus like, here's 16 tracks. Um, not entirely, but you know, uh, but yeah, I gotta say, you know, maybe this is the white half of me coming out. Uh, but I, I like my early Beyonce. I like my pop singles, Beyonce, you know, I like my halo. Okay. That's probably still my favorite Beyonce. I love pretty hurts on, on the Beyonce self-titled album. 
Um, that's, that's like the last Beyonce song that I really, really liked. Uh, I watched Lemonade. I didn't, I was just more interested because like it was all about Jay-Z cheating on her, but I bought this one because it was well-reviewed, but I guess this is one of those things where I'm like between the 40 black Twitter catchphrases that are just kind of randomly uttered half the time. It's just like, did you just have to get that in? Is it like a checklist? Cause I don't know what it's served lyrically. And the fact that I'm just not a big dance hall club music enthusiast, I don't think this album was just gonna, gonna hit for me anyway. I prefer my pop Beyonce of, of the, of the aughts. If we're being honest, Halo, still my favorite Beyonce song. Um, but yeah, but if you're a huge Beyonce fan or a dance music fan, it it might hit you better than it hit me. But there, how about that? The fuck is this, a music episode? Hey, something different for you guys, okay? So that's it. That's the episode. Now, um, you know, since Monday's a work day, all I have to do is do three videos and get to the gym and read a little bit more of my uh, Maggie Haberman book before we can move on to the next book for the JL book club on the Patreon and blah, blah, blah. That never ends. No fun ever. Love being a comedian. It eats up all my extra time. All the extra time I have in the week is dedicated to either doing comedy or lamenting the fact that I'm not doing enough comedy and that my career is going nowhere. So it's a fun existence, guys. And I'm glad you were here for just a slice of it on the Righteous Prick Podcast. So please go check out the Patreon if you haven't already. Sign up for a month. You can peruse like five months of bonus podcasts, exclusive videos, etc., etc. Join for a month. And I think you'll find that you enjoy what I'm putting out there if you're a fan. Um, if you can, if you can, obviously check out making podcasts great again, my other podcast, uh, days might be numbered for that just because, you know, uh, because it might be and, um, might not be, but, uh, you know, the special, the special looms, uh, larger every day, uh, determining where my career will go. But yeah, check out the Patreon, please get tickets to those shows. If you're anywhere near any of the shows, tell a friend, tell a friend about something I do, even if it's not a show. Get them to check out the YouTube, etc. It's just um, I'm trying to keep putting out. As long as I'm doing this comedy shit, I'm trying to put out uh, good stuff and consistently um, until it's time to to wrap it up or to get to the next level. So I do appreciate you guys listening. I hope you are well. Stay healthy. Be happy. Um, don't worry. Be happy. Unseated Guns N' Roses, Sweet Child of Mine from the Billboard charts. That is my consolation. Whenever I look at an artist who doesn't deserve what I deserve and is getting more than me, I just think Bobby McFerrin, Unseated Guns N' Roses, Sweet Child of Mine in 1988. Iconic rock song, iconic guitar riff, the best rock band of my lifetime, in my opinion, to emerge in my lifetime. I don't, I don't, I think they are clearly the best rock band in the last 40 to emerge in the last 40 years, even if it's just off the strength of four albums, so be it. Show me, I don't know a better catalog of four albums from any rock band that began after 1979. And they did sweet child of mine, one of their most iconic songs. And, uh, it was unseated from the charts by a bit, by the way, that killed in Boston that I never put on a video or an album. It just got cut from, uh, I didn't even perform it for half blackface. 
um, because I was already pressed for time in terms of what to what to what to cut out just for the recording. Um, but it was uh, and I said, Robin Williams was in that video. And just it just goes to show you how how useless that song was. Don't worry, be happy certainly didn't work on Robin Williams. And he was in the fucking video. Sweet child of mine. Yeah. Where are we on the charts? Number two? What's number one? In no way is this an analogy for being unseated from the top of the Trump charts by a lip syncer. Anyway, guys, on that bitter note, thanks for listening. Have a great week. Patreon, live shows, YouTube subscriptions. Uh, that's it. See you next Tuesday.